Hi everybody, this is Coach Hart from System Basketball. I'm here with Coach George Barber of Greenville University and we're going to discuss System Basketball today. Coach, really appreciate you coming on my second episode of System Basketball Zoomcast. So, how are things going where you are right now? I see you're in your truck. So Yeah, thank <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Um, no, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I am in my truck. I am in Illinois. I'm in Southern Illinois, and we are still under the uh, COVID-19 shelter-in-place deal. And so um, we we have camps a whole month of June, and they they would not allow us to have them under like it's ten per le uh, or less people. But if you go outside, it's okay as long as you stay six feet apart. So um, I just wanted to show what we did. This is my church, and my church allowed me to have um, hoops in the parking lot. So as you can see, like, I don't know if you can see the sign over here, but it says, make the big time where you are. And so we're going to make the big time right here in this church parking lot. Um, attitude and effort, Bill Brothers, all this stuff. So we got, 20, we got 12 hoops set up, and awesome. they're going to be um, – I love gonna, it. The kids are going to love it. They're just, look at this. I mean, the kids are just going to love it. I love it. You got everything logoed. Two per basket. Two per basket. I got a loudspeaker. I got some music ready. Yeah. I got uh, three two-hour, three two-hour um, sessions ready for, for the kids um, starting next Monday. We'll go Monday through Thursday. Well, that's awesome, Coach. I love it. I know you're a big yeah. logo and inspirational quote guy. So. Yeah. Um, can you share with us briefly before we get into dive into some system questions about who are some of your major influences on your coaching philosophy? Yeah, so again, I'm going to walk. I hope it don't make people dizzy. But uh, <laughs> Frosty Westerling, Frosty Westerling um, is a big, a big, uh, he's the guy that coined make the big time where you are. And so we have this big time. Uh, toolbox that we we have in our locker room it's everywhere it's like me versus me you know and uh, red car blue car red car is like if you're not number one you're no one and blue car is uh, give it your best shot you know you may not win that day but you got to give it your best shot so we say we want to be a blue car guy we want to be a blue car team we want to be a team that gives it our best shot not too discouraged if we lose not too high if we win kind of re, you know wooden stuff but revisit red car we don't want to be the red car most people are driving the red car um most people you know they're stuck on we have to win or otherwise we're a total failure and we just we just don't want to adopt that for our program so a lot of fun stuff on here people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care um saying like they don't care how good you are unless they know you care about them as a teammate so each day at camp we're going to go over, you know, one of these things, window room, mirror room. Uh, are you thinking about yourself always? Are you living in the window room? Are you just, uh, uh, um, I mean, mirror room or are you, are you in the window room where you're thinking about others? So it's going to be fun. It's going to be Coach, fun what age group is these camps for? They will go 8 to 16. Okay. Basically, yeah. Any other influences on your coaching philosophy? Yeah, well, of course, of course, yes. Coach Patino okay. uh, was a great influence of mine, uh, Rick Patino. He was at Kentucky. He hired me as an administrative assistant back in the early 90s, and we, um, we won a national championship in 1996. So that was 
you know, that's, that was a, a highlight of a career and that really helps your resume. But uh, he's always been so kind to me and helpful. Um, and he was a risk taking coach. Like people would say, how do you, you know, how does, how does coach Patino do it? And, like, what's his secret? Like what's his office? What's his defense? It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with, you know, he could make you believe that you could do things more than you even believe you could do. You, you could do more than you thought you could. And he was a can do guy. And I think that was, um, you know, the biggest takeaway of why he was successful. Then other, other influences, um, Jim Molinari uh, at Bradley University he was so kind to hire me. And uh, he was more of a pack line guy, but I learned a good Midwestern defense there with him. Uh, and he's been a fantastic mentor. Um, my college coach is named Cecil Zweifel. I actually went to Greenville uh, back in the 50s. Uh, I actually I actually worked with Eddie Sutton for a couple of years uh, at Kentucky. And, of course, he's a fantastic coach, always treated me great, treated people very well. And uh, I was um, glad to be with him. Dwayne Casey was there when I was there. Hmm. I coached with Billy Donovan. I've coached with um, Tubby Smith. Actually, I haven't coached with Tubby. I've worked his camps. So okay. all these coaches have just been great influences on me, great influences. That's good stuff, Coach. When do you when did you first learn about the system, and what were your feelings about it when you first started looking at it? Right. So my mentors in the system style of play are Gary Smith and Doug Porter, and Dave Arsenault as well, but mainly Gary and Doug. I I I had to go to a style that was going to allow me to play more players, and. I, I landed on the system. I thought it was a fun style. It seemed to me like it was going to be a fun style to play. So um, I called Coach Smith and I said, you know, what do you think? And he said, I, you know, yeah, I mean, you got, you got a, there's certain rules to this. It's not just madness. Uh, same thing for Doug Porter. I drove up and, and, and spent some time with him and Lauren um, with Stamatis at the time. Coach Glenn. Yeah, Coach Glenn. Glenn. Yeah, so we just had a great time. Those guys were very encouraging. I read their book, The System, the summer of 2015. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, man, if it's down in regular basketball, it's up in the system. If it's up in regular basketball, it's down in the system. It was just so opposite. And I would write in the margins like, wow, or really? Or like, this is how they want to play this. And so it was kind of fun. It was like a challenge, like, can you really do this? And so, uh, you know, as we put it in, Coach Smith came and joined me uh, for the first week of practice. I flew him in. I took him fishing. He likes to go fishing. So we went bass fishing. He said, I've never been bass fishing because uh, he's out west. And uh, we also went to a square dance. We, we, we do a, a fall festival square dance in the fall with the women's basketball team so he got to square dance he got the fish and he helped me put in the system defense which was it was just a fantastic week and then we at the end of the week we played the local prison uh federal prison and that's always experience to go into prison <laughs> so, but uh those guys were great i called dave arsenault i said dave i i think i'm gonna do this and he sent me like several dvds a book and he said uh welcome to the dark side 
And I don't, I don't know, I don't know if he just knew I was really gonna do it or not. But he, he was all in and helping me, and uh, he was just fantastic. So, well, those are three of the guys probably on, on the Mount Rushmore of system coaches. And, yeah, no doubt. No and, doubt. And, and and getting to know you a little bit, coach. I believe you got the chance to sit down with probably the fourth guy of system basketball that would you'd put on Mount Rushmore would be Paul Westhead. So yes. So and I I didn't mention Coach Westhead because I've only met with him recently, but you're right. He for sure is um, a, a pioneer. So you have people that are leaders that are creative, but then you have pioneers. And pioneers are people that like go where no one else has gone. Mm -hmm. And Westhead would be one of those pioneers <laughs> that, that exactly. went there. And, and I also, you know, I didn't mention this, but football, uh, Pete Carroll. Yeah. He was great to me. And he said, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, he's all about enthusiasm. He's all about um, everything, making everything competitive. So. Well, getting to know you, Coach, you have a lot of the same personalities of Coach Carroll. Me being me being a Southern California guy, um, got to watch Pete up close and personal during the USC heydays. So uh, the win forever days and all that good stuff at, at USC. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Pete Carroll fan. My wife has now adopted the Seahawks as our as her team because. Pete's up there, so she just loves his energy and exuberance. So you know, Mark, I see that a lot. I see that a lot in you as well, Coach. So well, thank you for saying that. And he was—he treated me so well, I couldn't believe it. I went and visited, and he went out on the practice field, and and I was sitting there. I think I may have told you the story, but um, he came over, spent 20 minutes with me on the on the practice field, and. And I'm sitting beside another guy, and he says, you got to talk to this guy, talking about me, this other guy. And I thought, why is he saying that? And he said, his basketball team plays crazy. They're, they're, they score 130 points a game. And so I started talking to that guy, and I said, who are you? And he said, well, I'm uh, Chris Peterson. I, I just didn't click or anything, and I was like, um, where do you coach at? And he said, I'm, I'm at University of Washington, head football coach. Oh, okay. I said, still wasn't clicking. I said, well, where were you before Washington? He said, Boise State. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I go, you're oh. the guy who called the, you know, Statue of Liberty play in the flea flicker that beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Like, what a risky move. I go, I'm in the perfect company right here. I mean, these are yeah. my guys. I mean, he, so, made, he made that turf, I think it was a blue turf, that he made famous at Boise State, too. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Coach, Coach, how long have you been running the system now? So, we've done it for five years. Um, okay. 15, 16, all up to 1920. Okay. So, we get... You get this question. Everybody discusses the the term system basketball. How would yeah. you define it? What would be your de definition of system basketball? Right. Hey, let me ask you this, Mark. Am I getting any feedback from wind, or is it okay? No, you're good. You're good. Okay. Um, how would I define it? I would define system basketball as um, creating the most opportunities you can create to score. So everything is about outscoring your opponent. And 
the, the funny story I tell about that is early on, first or second season, we're playing a team in our conference that was a little down that year. And I needed to find a way to kind of motivate the guys. And so I said, guys, do you think you can score 150 tonight? You know, I mean, I mean, I don't, I'm not, we weren't going for a record of scoring. I just said, do you think you can score 150? And they were like, yeah, yeah, of course, you know. And then I said, uh, and then one of my senior captains said, and let's hold them to under 100. I said, no, no, you don't. I said, all you got to do is hold them to under 149. You know, and so it's kind of funny, but you're not going to score 150 if you don't. If, if you don't run and also have the other team running, like you're not going to hold them to a certain number while you're scoring some great, fantastic number. So um, I think the definition of system basketball is to create the most opportunities to score that you possibly can. And the offense, Gary Smith will tell you this, the offense and the defense have to go together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, if you're not pressing – you're not going to be playing as fast as you can on offense. So it's, it's really, it's really, they got to complement each other. Okay, coach. That's good. Yeah. Um, what are your system goals at Greenville? Right. So what we decided on was a um, hundred shots. 50 of those shots need to be threes. We try to grab 35% of the offensive rebounds that are available. So when we miss, you know, we, we try to basically grab a third of the shots. And so we're sending four guys to the offensive boards. And um, so you take your their defensive rebounds and your offensive rebounds divided by your offensive rebounds. And if that's 35%, we hit our goal. But it's, like I said, basically a third. So we're sending four guys, very risky. We don't get the rebound. Uh, I was just talking to Josh Pastor uh, this week about this. He's at Georgia Tech, and we were talking about, you know, like what happens if you don't get the rebound? Well, you just immediately turn and press. You, you take the closest two guys and press. Um, so then the, the last two goals are 32 turnovers forced, and the last goal is 25 more shots than the opponent. And to me, that's the most important goal. 25 more shots than the opponent. So, you know, basketball is back, uh, offense, defense, jump ball, offense, defense, offense, defense. In the system, it's jump ball, offense, defense, offense, steal, offense, defense, offense, offensive rebound, offense. And so it's a volume thing of creating 25 more shots attempts than the opponent. And the theory is some of them are going to go in. Yeah. And you'll win the game. I know there's many, Coach, but what do you think is the biggest misconception of playing system basketball? Um, that it's that it's helter-skelter, it's street ball, and it doesn't have any structure. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. It's, it's very structured. It's very um, – you have to have extreme discipline to play it at, at such a high pace. You have to have incredible trust of your teammates. It weeds out selfishness like that. Like, you don't want that. No coach wants that. And this, like, bubbles that up to the top so quick. If you're selfish, you can't, you can't play in this style. You could. So it weeds out things that you want to get weeded out. Um, it allows for greater participation. It allows for 
gives you quickly a more opportunity for trust. So those are things I think that, um, you know, the misconception is it's not organized or it's not structured. And the, the, the reality is, is exactly the opposite of that. It's very structured. It's, it's just highly risk taking. That's all. What do you think you, you've referenced coach Porter, coach Smith, the, the coaching system book, the Bible for coaching the system in, in most people's yep. eyes, that's a must. So what do you think? I know their book covers about 10 of them. What do you think is the biggest criticism from people outside the system community of, of the system? Like, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's two, uh, there's two. The first is, um, the, the first is like, you're not keeping your best players on the floor at all times. Like that's going to be a big criticism. And I would say, um, I get that. And that might be true, but are your best players still your best players if they're tired? And if you're trying to play at such a high pace and I just, the whole way we set up sport in America is, is frustrating to me. It's not like this in any other country because we are all tied to schools and there's limited number of people that can play. So if you go to Europe or any other country, uh, they have, um, you know, you don't have to have your grades to play. And, and I'm, I'm big on, I have a doctoral degree. I'm very, education is very important to me. It's the key to people, you know, moving forward and, and being successful in life. However, if somebody's good at sport and they may be struggling academically, uh, you can still play if you, you know, are in a country that has a club system deal. So greater participation. It's not like that in America. The system allows you to have greater participation. Um, the other thing that people, you asked me what people struggle with, right? What the, what the biggest, one of the, the criticisms of the system. I, what, yeah. Yeah. So the, the other thing is uh, you're not playing defense, you know, and, Again, that's the farthest from the truth because um, we lead, like we got like five plaques in my office just from this season, of and three of them are are or two or three of them are related to defense, like leading the nation in steals, um, and so turnovers force. So you are playing defense. It's just that other people see layups and dunks on your team and they're like if you could just stop that you know you would have oh can you hear those weed eaters no we're good we're good good? yeah we're good um (laughs) they would say they would say um you know if you could just stop that layup you would be you would be great you'd be a great team and i'm thinking you know you don't understand. We have a sign up in our locker room that says get steals, not stops. Yeah. So like we're all about, we're all about forcing turnovers and forcing steals and not so much about stops. As long as it doesn't take long, like we don't want you to score at the end of a 30 second shot clock. We don't want you to ever score, but if you do score, we want it to be quick, you know? And so we're going to take a risk. And then if you see the basket, you're going to be so relieved to be open that you're going to take that shot quickly. And so uh, Paul Westhead tells a great story about this. He says, you know, his assistant coach said, um, if we could tell Hank, I tell you what, this guy's getting louder and louder. 
Uh, if we could tell Hank Gathers to go over here and play help side, I'm gonna pull around the other side. Um, you, you would really, we'd have a great defensive team. And so Westhead said, Hank, when the guy drives down the lane, I want you to slide over and play help side. So Hank did it. And then after two or three times, the point guard goes, well, you know, uh, I'm just going to kick it out here for a jumper or an outside shot. And then Coach Westhead was like, oh, we can't have that. And then we're not trapping and we're not playing fast. And so he kind of got frustrated with Hank. And Hank said, Coach, what do you want me to do? I can't do both. And then he said, I want you to trap and not worry about the uh, the help side. And so that's why I'm saying you just can't do both. My next question for you is, what advice would you give to any coaches that would like to learn more about the system or, or run the system? What? Yeah, so here's, here's a couple things, uh, Mark. Number one, you got to get Gary and Doug's book. <laughs> like, you can't do it without that. Like, that is like the first thing, and you need to read it, because you would be doing it – you'd be doing yourself a disservice to try to put in any offense or any defense or any style of play without doing your homework first. So that's the first thing. Um, we have a video. I have a video. You could you could get that. Um, it, and it shows you some things that, you know, you do during – so those things could be helpful. But here's the next thing. You got you to gotta write a letter. You have to sit down and write a letter. Like you have to – this is a frosty thing. You got to ink what you think and say, why do I want to do this? And then – Present that letter, doesn't have to be long, to your athletic director or principal or uh, whoever is, you know, your supervisor to say, parents and players, we're going to do this and this is what it's going to be like. And so, um, you know, uh, I'm not catching you off guard. Like, that's super important. That's super important. I just find it ironic because I'm, I'm installing the system, Coach. You know this. And I know. If I ran flex offense, I wouldn't ever think that I would have to write a letter to my admin and describe to them that I'm going to play a certain. So it just kind of boils my mind to an extent. That, but I've heard it. That's a common one that I've heard. And the PowerPoint and uh, yeah, and the buy-in of your kids, talking to your best players and yeah, and stuff. You like just got to do a little marketing scheme before you do it, and it's be it's because it's different. It's because you're brave and you're courageous and you're willing to do something different. And, you know, there's all kinds of songs about being different. And, and, and I love that stuff. And, and uh, you're not really, you're not going against the grain or you're not trying to fight people. You're just trying something that's not tried by very many other people. So you want to make sure you got people on board and they're not caught off guard when you start. Yeah. Um, coach, you've shared with me this. Could you share with people that will be listening? Is your first year you started off really rough, and yeah. and you were like, I don't know if this is right, and right. and you stuck with it. Now you're running it for five years, and you're you're a yeah. firm believer in the, in the style. Can you can you share the story of what 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 we can maybe expect starting off? How we could start off slow and but yes. you just plug along and and go with it. Yes. So, first of all, high school and junior high coaches are probably the best coaches 
All right. So when you get to the college level or the pro level, you're kind of managers. You're managers of egos. You're same as high school and junior high, but you're managers of egos. You're, you're less of a teacher and more of a motivator, I believe. So high school and junior high coaches will have a great chance to really teach and kids to learn. But we put this in and kids were struggling a little bit with buy-in. Not much because I'm, I'm pretty enthusiastic. <laughs> but we were not winning. Like, we were just – we were 2-12. and 12. And it was uh, on the 12th loss, not in a row, but on the 12th loss, I was looking at the team and I was like, they can't, they can't shoot. I mean, we know – we like – we can see on the stats, we can see on the film, they can't shoot. And so if we just played zone, we could win this game. And I told my assistant coach, I said – you know, it's a timeout with maybe four minutes to go in the game, relatively close. I said, should we just go zone? And he goes, I wouldn't. He said, you've, you've really invested. And, you know, I think you'd send the wrong message. And I said, no, you're right. Thank you. I needed that voice of reason. Same, Stephen Grove, such a great assistant. Just fantastic. And, and so I said, we're going to go out. And we lost. So now we're 2-12. and 12. We go home. And I had a, one of my players, DeAndre Brown, say, Coach, you know, we're always down 20. Like, second half, we're down 20. We always fight back. We just can't quite get over the hump. We're close. Why don't you put us down 20 in practice? And I said, that's a great idea. So I put us down 20 uh, to the JV team uh, with 10 minutes to go. And I said, all right, you're going to run a suicide sprint for every point that you lose by. So, I mean, it, this is like – this is terrible. Like, you're really, you're really risking – killing your kids in the middle of conference but i did it and we lost the, the varsity lost by 13 and i and so we painstakingly ran 13 suicides in a row <laughs> and uh the kids were mad at me and they were just you know frustrated and we're two and 12 and the next day i did the same thing i said down 20 10 minutes to go and they did the suicide and now they're like uh, if we can just get maybe six more points maybe four more points at the end of the scrimmage we'll have less suicides. And so they, they were down maybe 10 at, close to the end of practice or end of the scrimmage, and they cut it to, I think it was like six. And now they only had six, you know, suicides. And we did that several days in a row, and pretty soon they realized, ah, this is how fast I got to play. This is how, you know, how quickly I got to score. And they started beating the JV, and we ended up going 12-2, and two, so we were two and twelve. We totally flipped it, twelve and two, and we won our conference, and um, you know went to the we didn't go to the national tournament, went to the conference tournament, lost in the final. But we flipped it based on putting them in system scenarios in practice. Um, is that is that the story you wanted? That's a great story, Coach. Uh, <laughs> I, I, um, how did you? How did you decide on your offense? Because everybody kind of does it the same way defensively that are that is dubbed a system team. Um, you got Grinnell running their double staggered. You have Olivet who has run the Olivet transition, which is their modified dribble drive attack. And then you got um, our guys up in Northwest of Pacific running their transition to a ball screen. Um, and then you're a little bit different. Um, how did you how did you come about? deciding which one to choose when you were putting it in so i read all of them and um 
the one thing I noticed about the West Head attack was it was heavy for a couple of players. Uh, same with the Grinnell attack. Um, and I just, I had some really athletic guys, so I knew we could drive. I knew we could kick, and so dribble drive. And also, I had been pretty good friends with Rick Torbett, and he's he developed a read and react. I'd been to several of his clinics. Um, I'd call him routinely in the middle of practice and say, Rick, how about this? And he'd pick up and he'd help me. It was unbelievable. And so um, I said, I wonder if we can just do read and react elements where we have natural pitch, some circle turns, some pitch backs. Uh, there's some ball screens in there. And then at the end of the game, we'll just do the five out pass and cut, but everything else is going to be the driving part of read and react. And uh, so we tried it, and Gary Smith, we're in the deep dining commons. That night, we've been working a week trying to put everything in, and we're going to go play the prison, the local federal prison. He said, George, he said, I think you've done a great job. I think we got the defense in, but I don't know. I just don't know if um, your offense is structured enough. And he says, I know you're trying to read and react stuff, but uh, I don't know. And we scored 91 points in the first half versus the federal prison. And those, these are men. Yeah. These guys are huge. And um, he turned to me kind of at halftime. He said, I think your, your offense is fine. The reading <laughs> reacts fine. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so, so we've, we've stuck with that. But it mainly burped out of I knew Rick. And I had some athletic guys that could drive a little bit. And um, – I just felt really comfortable with that. So I just think it's whatever you feel comfortable with. They're all, you know, Smith, Porter, Arsenal, all of them, they're all great offensive minds. Ours is, ours is really about playing with freedom. Like that's my great mm -hmm. experiment is how good can you be playing with freedom? And I think the read and react lends itself to that. Okay. Um, if you were installing this at the high school or college level, for the first time, which you which you did five years ago, what defenses would you employ? Would you just do the basics? Would you employ all four of them? Would you only put a couple of them in? What do you? What would be your advice? Yeah, so um, I would put them all in. We put them all in, and then um, we settled on one or two main ones for each shift, so that. One shift might have more shooters and would be a little slower. And so we would say, you know, every time you're in, we're going to let you go uh, stay press because that's a little more conservative. You're not quite as fast. We don't think you're going to get as many steals. But, we, we, you know, we still want you to be aggressive. We want you to try to get steals. But, you know, you got four shooters on the floor, and so we like that. So it's a little bit of a trade-off. We'll put you in a little bit more conservative of a press. Um and then we'll take a more athletic group and we'll put them in a more uh, aggressive press. So like up deny or up inside out and try to make it more ragged when they're in the game. So then we go to practice and that's all that group practices. And, you know, stay press will be all the other group practices. And, um, but it keeps the opponent off balance because they're like, you know, trying to figure out, okay, which, which shift is in and, you know, they can tell, but then they're constantly having to make adjustments to what the press is every minute or so. And so, um, and it's not like we can't take the up-tempo, um, more athletic group and not play a conservative press. But 
we, we change it up by the shift. That's what I would say. Okay. What do you believe would be the ideal roster size for a high school team? So you, you need 12. You need 12. 10 not going to be quite enough. Uh, you can go up to 15 or 16. But I always say this, and this is Dave Arsenault thing. The top 10 guys are going to get the lion's share of the minutes. So you, you want to be in the top 10. I mean, and then we're going to play uh, early in the season, 12, 13, 14, 15 guys, maybe 16. But by the time we get in conference, by the time we're in the playoffs, hopefully uh, we'll be down to, you know, 12 guys uh, or, or 12 guys or girls or whatever your rotation is. Um, but um, I don't think you can go much less than 12. And I think 12 to 15 is good. So I've always thought 18 is a perfect number to have on a team. I'm a big crowd guy. And that way you have three groups of six. And your your last group of six is going to be a control group. You know, I think practice. just playing a little devil's advocate with you, me being a high school coach, Yeah, I've heard 13 is a great number because you have your 10, you have a third-string point guard, like a third-string wing, and a third-string post. Yeah. But I'm also playing around with bringing up, like, my top five JV kids. So that gets me at that 18 number. So your bottom three and your five can go against your top ten in practice. Because I think at the high school level, I only want to keep the amount of people that I'm going to play. Because if I'm running a system and it's participation and I keep 16 or 17 and kids don't play, it's going to cause a problem. So you can have your JVs because you have your JVs and freshman teams in high school. So yeah. then you could still use players like you. You have a JV program. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of what you do as well. So those are things that I'm messing around with by talking to you guys and learning yeah. of how I'm going to implement this. And I think, I think you're brilliant. I think, that, I think you're, you're exactly right about your numbers you're talking about. Um, you probably know – everybody knows their program better than you know, mm-hmm. anyone else knows it. And the other thing is – Whenever you do pull up those uh, JV guys or freshman guys, how encouraging is it going to be to those guys to even just scrimmage against the varsity? They're just going to love it. They feel like, oh, I'm getting a shot. Coach is looking at me. You know, so I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a win for everybody if you pull them up and let them play your control. This has been asked on the – this one's been asked on the Zoom clinics a few times. Would you recommend it for the JV or the freshman team, or would you just run it at the varsity level? So I would, I would recommend it. I'm trying to get away from the uh, the uh, leader guy again. I would recommend it, uh, but modify. Okay. So in other words, quickly doing some shifts, but modified in this sense um, that they don't necessarily have to press you know, the whole time or, you know, um, whatever modifications you can make to work with people that are, um, you know, the, the number the number of players that you have. That's, that's how I do it. So I would go full out, 100%. Our freshmen, they got so much better. My son played on that team this year. They were down like 20 in the last game of the season and came back and won. They did that several times at the end of the year. You, they'll get so much better 
And those that do move on to varsity are going to be, you know, that much more ahead. So I would run it as much as I possibly could, but you may have to modify it. So. Okay. Um, have you had, or what was the biggest mistake you made installing the system? If you can pinpoint something like when you first started getting going. Yeah. So biggest mistake, I would say, um, can maybe, I you? <laughs> maybe under yeah, I'm I'm away from the weed eater now. Maybe okay. underestimating the number of um, how difficult it was to get guys to buy into the shifts. Okay. So and I would I would that'd be a weed I would pull out of the garden and stomp on that weed two three days in a row because I would say, you know, how about this guy? He comes out. He says he's not tired. He's not giving it to us. He's 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 not. You know, and then I'd bring it up the next day and bring it up the next day to get them to know that you've got to play so hard, 100,000 miles an hour with your hair on fire, and then you're going to be exhausted and you're going to want to break, and then you'll go right back in. So don't, they don't have to worry about that. So. What are your what are your system shifts look like, Coach? Are they about a minute, or what are they? A minute. Yeah, mm -hmm. we, we try to do a minute. Okay. We try to do one minute. Have you had to make any adjustments over the last five years now that – people have seen you multiple times and, and know that you're a full grown system team. Are they making adjustments to take things away? Um, crazy. Um, so of course, of course they're going to try to, you know, make adjustments, but I, I like, um, a lot of the, the really smart coaches in our, they're all smart in our league. We have, <laughs> we have a great group of guys, but they will sub at the end of a free throw or a dead ball especially at the end of a free throw, to stop and be able to get their defense set so we can't fast break on them. That's an adjustment that we've had to uh, – the teams have made that we've had to overcome. Um, one year, the coach at Eureka – this is in our conference uh, – got the football quarterback to join the basketball team so he could put him inbounding the ball and just knife up our press with beautiful 10-point pass. And he did. I think we, we, we split that year. But, uh, you know, so there's, there's things that people do, and I love it. I just see a great gamesmanship adjustments, and then we got to come back and make another adjustment and make a wrinkle in our press offense. And so, uh, or our, our, uh, in our press when, when he got the quarterback inbounding the ball. So we have, to, uh, we have to make adjustments as well. Well, Coach, in 2018-2019, in you broke Coach Smith's record. Um, scoring 135.1 points per game. How high do you think you guys can get? Where, where, where do you think the system can go? And, and how far more can you push the limits? Right. Uh, there was a Nike commercial that said, um, it starts off, it says, you can't break a two-hour marathon. Scientifically, they've done the research. It's not humanly possible to do it. And then they said, so... And it's dot, dot, dot. We're going to try. <laughs> and I love that commercial. <laughs> I love when everybody says, you can't do something, we're going to try. So I don't know what the limits are. I will say this is the this is the thing that holds you up is sportsmanship. Like, because if you do have a good enough team and you are beating teams, and then all of a sudden you're just trying to get a bunch of points yeah. to set another record, I mean, people are, people are going to say, well, that's not good sportsmanship. Some people will. And I would say I can see, I can understand them saying that. So, um, 
Yeah, yes, we knew exactly where we were all along the way on that season. Yes, it was fun to break the record. Uh, no, I don't want to damage a bunch of relationships along the way, you know, to necessarily set set more records. I don't know what the upper limits are. If teams are running with us, I don't know. I don't know if it could be 150 game, 140 game. But again, teams have to run with you and you have to be willing to say enough's enough if it's going to cause uh, damage to a relationship. I don't want to do that. Why don't you think more more coaches try to run this? Is it job security mainly or is it just too outside the box for people? Is it what do you think it no, is? Yeah, it's it's um it's the culture of winning. It's the all important emphasis on winning. And if you give teams this much freedom, which the kids love, the fans love, the opposing team loves, the refs don't love it as much because they got to run more. And, you know, maybe the opposing coach. But if you give teams this much freedom and encourage them to play this fast, it's so frenetic that sometimes you would feel like I, I'm not controlling it. And because you feel like the, you either put the pressure on yourself to win or maybe the culture or maybe the school's putting the pressure on you to win. Um, because of that, I think less people are willing to try. And it's unfortunate because it's really fun. And the kids really like it. And it's I've never talked to a player that I want to play slower. I, I hate going to high school games where it's like in the 30s and it's the fourth quarter and the kids are sitting there dribbling, just staring at each other, all in the name of winning the game. I just think, what a waste of time. These kids aren't even going to be tired at the end of this game. Yeah, that's a funny story. I saw a tweet the other day about there was like a little thing of college or coaches going, what I would go back to do just to have basketball again during the quarantine. If someone wrote, I would walk the ball up and run flex offense and and i and my response was i rather put pencils in my eyeballs than go back and play know, so um i've always liked to play fast i grew up in flex um coach can you briefly share what it's like what like a greenville practice is like yeah so we go um the first of course uh i take him down to the locker room not of course but i take him down to the locker room and we always meet 30 minutes before practice, and I have a big-time lesson. So I cover those things I did at the beginning of the video. You know, we'll have a lesson on me versus me or window room, mirror room. So we'll have a lesson like that. They actually take notes. Sometimes we read a book. Um, we, you know, we, we do lessons like that. It takes about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But it's so important to me to do these lessons. Then we'll go up on the floor. They do a little uh, dynamic stretch, and I give them a couple minutes of layups. And then – we go right into 40 minutes of shooting, a, a period of shooting where they, we have all these different drills. We use all these drills in the back of Coach Smith or Coach Porter's book. Um, and they're all competitive. If you lose, you got a sprint, but we have a, just a, a large array of shooting drills where um, we try to get 200 threes up, usually three. Sometimes it's some other varied shots, but mainly threes. We get the shots up. Uh, and the coaches don't stand around and talk and visit and catch up from their day. They literally are, are getting in among the players and encouraging them while they're shooting. So it's a very active practice time, although it's shooting. And I, I play music, you know, I mean, it's gotta be clean. I don't, I don't, 
I, I don't let them play uh, stuff that, that you know, got the E on it. I make sure it's, it's uh, got to pass my inspection. But it's good. It's fun. It's upbeat. I let them play their songs. Uh, but it's um, something that I think um, it keeps it upbeat. So then we go into skeleton. So the next 40 minutes is nuts and bolts. How do we press? What offense? What defense? Uh, how do we form our traps? How do we make our passes? Where do we go on the floor? Uh, a lot of times starting off with five on all leading up to comp uh, competition. Pete Carroll thing. Everything's competitive. And finally, we end every practice with a scrimmage. Every practice. So, um whether if it's short or long, we're going to do a scrimmage at the end of practice. And those kids are like, we're done? And I'm like, we're done. They're like, that was, that was great. That was an awesome two hours. You didn't really yell at us a whole lot. I'm exhausted. I'm tired, but that was fun. I go, yeah, it's assistant practice. Coach, can you, can you tell our listeners um, what your experience has been like coming on some of the system basketball Zoom clinics? Oh, it's been great. It's just a – it's the like-minded thinkers, people that, men and women that are not afraid to do something different. They're courageous. And so, um, and you learn a lot because everybody, you know, we ask questions and, and uh, get to share. And uh, it's just, it's just been fantastic. I'm, I learned a ton this summer. I've been running for five years and, or that's this spring, I would say. And we, um, you know, there's all kinds of stats and stuff that are thrown out. And it makes you feel like you're not crazy. So in other words, you're going, okay, we're doing this very similar. We're like, you know, I'm not, I'm not that, that different than you guys. I'm in like company. This is fun. Yeah. It's amazing, Coach, that um, a little thing that we started doing with the help of Bob Belf with the Ra the Yahoo running gun group. Bob's a big yeah. part of it. Um, if you can believe it, the email list is up to like 450 people. So, uh, You're doing a great job. I you really are doing a great job. I want to thank you and all the system coaches um, wholeheartedly, the support that you guys have given me, the open access. Um, system basketball coaches in general have just been great. Um, a lot of traditional coaches like today in these questions would have just gave you that stock answer and not giving you the meat and potatoes, they would just be like, um, they give you the clinic answer. So, uh, yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, yeah. They don't, they don't give you. Assistant coaches are very sharing. They're very, you know, they're very uh, open and try to be helpful. I mean. Is there any last advice you'd like to give our listeners today before we sign off? Well, Mark, I just want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Like, what a great blessing this has been to, to work with you and to have a person who knows how to do the computer, knows how to do the Zoom calls, knows how to set all this up, coordinate all this. It's just, it's a tremendous um, asset and it's a tremendous resource for me and many system coaches. So yeah. I say, I just want to say thank you. You're doing a great job. And I just want to say thank you to you again. Um, Coach Barber's video is available at the systembasketball.com website. Um, helps me out, helps coach out. Um, you can get it anywhere. But if you can help support us, that'd be great from System Basketball. It helps me to do these. And System Basketball is basically Wednesdays and Saturdays at 5 o'clock. So look forward to hopefully some of you joining us. Uh, Coach Barber attends when he can. And he, he, he doesn't just show up when he speaks. He shows up and listens to other people. Coach Gary Smith, who he mentioned, is sitting there almost 
whoever the speaker is and the man's retired so that that tells you about how coach just wants to learn and we have about 18 different topics so it's a great great opportunity for you guys to come out and learn more about system basketball again coach thanks for your time out in your truck today i'm at your <laughs> church setting up for your clinic and yeah. and i hope to see you on on some more zoom calls this summer that's great thank you so much mark thank you coach all right